Okay, we're going to have a history lesson. How many member of the show uh, Father Knows Best? Okay, some of you. How many remember uh, Ozzy and Harriet? Okay, more. How about Mayberry, RFD? All right. How about I Love Lucy? Oh, yeah, okay. Bonanza? Okay. Little House on the Prairie? My Three Sons? The Courtship of Eddie's Father? Yeah, the Brady Bunch? Not so much. Yeah, Leave it to Beaver? Yeah, okay, all right. Several years ago, now, yeah, this is back... Uh, a while. So some of you raise your hands probably have seen reruns because I'm sure you're not old enough to have seen the original whatevers. But uh, there, was a, there was a high amount, a high regard for dads and a high respect for dads uh, in the TV programming. But something changed several years ago. Something drastically changed. It became unfashionable for some reason or another to have a strong father who had wisdom and led his family through all sorts of difficulties and difficult life situations. And that spawned shows like All in the Family and Sanford and Son and The Simpsons and the like, uh, some of which were kind of subtle, but some were blatant in their put-down of the dad in the home. I'm not even aware of contemporary shows so much they're like. I don't watch them, and so I, I, I'm sure they're out there uh, showing men as weak and crude and unprincipled and vulgar and selfish and even stupid and I want you to know, guys, you can relax because this message is not going to be one of contempt for the husband. It seems like a lot of times in churches that I've gone to, you know, on Mother's Day, it's like, oh, she's so wonderful and made of sugar and spice and everything nice. And you wretched human beings called dads, what's the matter with you? Why don't you ever? That's not what this is going to be, okay? Not at all. Father's Day messages shouldn't be about what's wrong about dads. I have a high regard for men, uh, men who are, and, and I believe Christian men who are real men, who are not afraid and ashamed to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and lead their family in a biblical way, men of depth, men of quality, men who are committed, not the stereotypical uh, TV male. I got something that absolutely blew me away. Uh, in a card recently, and I just, I just wanted to, I, I responded to the card because it was so profound, and I got this back from a, from a guy who was a kid when we first went to uh, the other church where we were for 41 years, so I was like 26 years old, I think he was 17 years old, don't laugh about me, I was 26 at one time, <laughs> Some of you are like, no, you never were 26. Yes, I was. And this kid was 17 years old. And, and he said here, preacher, you were such an inspiration in my life to see a man love God the way I wanted to and still be a strong man. And you set an example I chose to emulate. Even when I failed, your message has always reminded me that he loves me anyway. Thank you. And you know what? That, that's what we men, Christian men, ought to be above anyone else, above everyone else, is men who are men of strength because our strength comes not from our own resources, but it comes from the Lord, the reservoir of the blessings of Almighty God. Since we're in a Navy town, again, sorry, Marine Corps, uh, since we're in a Navy town, I'm going to propose that we be men of the seven seas, all right? But we're going to spell seas a little differently, men of the seven seas, and uh, just kind of, we've, uh, we've been doing these messages on, on uh, answers for skeptics. Next week, we're going to do one on Islam, and uh, that, I'm looking forward to that. Got some resource material for that. 
uh, and, uh, and I hope that we'll do a, a decent job of that. But this is going to be just what every home needs. First of all, every home needs a man of commitment. And I love Job's commitment. I know Job went through the difficult time, the most difficult time of anyone in the Bible that I know of, more difficult than anybody else's trials and tribulations. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. Guys, do we have that kind of a testimony? Blameless and upright. One who feared God, and it doesn't mean uh, cower and run from God's presence, but it means having a reverential trust of God, trusting Him through thick and thin, knowing that He is our He is our anchor, He is our rock, He is our strong tower, He is unmovable, He always is the same, He never changes, God is God, and that's someone you can link your life to. One who feared God and turned away from evil. He didn't turn to it, He didn't pursue it, He turned away from it. There were born to Him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in, in the house of each one on uh, his day. They'd take turns. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. Listen to this. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For every one of his children, for his seven sons, his three daughters, he offered burnt sacrifices and burnt offerings. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. He was a man who was committed to his family. He wasn't on the fringes of it. He didn't just show up every once in a while. He was a man who was committed to his wife, who was committed to his children, so much so that when they had a party, they had to get together. He would offer sacrifices for each one of them on their behalf in case they had sinned during that time of celebration. He rose early. He sacrificed often. He worshiped every single day. He was a man who had businesses. He had stock, livestock, lots of them. He had lots of servants taking care, lots of employees taking care of his business interests. And, and yet he didn't let that detract uh, from his family. He didn't let that detract from his uh, wife and from his children. He was the man th uh, that he wanted to be and that he needed to be because of, of the strength that God gave him. He was not a selfish man. He was a committed man to his wife, his children, to God, and I'd say church today, his worship, his sacrificial worship in the days of the Old Testament. So he was a man of commitment. I don't even know why I'm saying this. A lot of times I will look in, uh, in the, for images to try to put when I'm building these kind of slideshows, and, and I, I looked up committed man, and I found lots of pictures of men who were threatening to take their own lives. And I, I don't even understand the disconnect there. But guys, let me tell you something. Uh, when your life is linked to the Holy Spirit and to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, uh, He can give you a strength that, that, you, that is way beyond yourself. And when we go through the trials of life and when we have the challenges of life, 
that, would, uh, that would stop us in our tracks. We can keep going because of the Lord. So I don't know what the disconnect is on, on Googling committed men, but, uh, but I had to look long and hard to get an image of that. And, and we ought to be a man of God who stands on the truth of the Word of God and is there always for our family, for our God, for our church. That's what God wants from a committed man. Second C that we need to eat, every home needs a man of conviction. We live in a really strange age. I'm telling you, I, I, you know, I used to hear people talk like this and when they were really old, you know, but times have changed. This is a whole different world from the 50s. It's a whole different world even from the 60s. Toward the end of the 60s is when it started getting really kind of strange, I believe. Nothing is right or wrong anymore. It's all subjective. Truth to so many people is kind of relative. Nothing is black and white anymore. My truth may not be yours, and your truth may not be mine, and, and all of that kind of nonsense. Uh, it's, it's, it's not black or white. It's all gray. Or black is called white, and white is called black, and, and good is called evil, and evil is called good. Isaiah warned about this in the fifth chapter of Isaiah, verse 20. Woe unto them who call evil good and call good evil that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. In other words, the whole world just turned upside down. You can even see it in our language. I mean, I'm probably so out of it right now that this is not going to make sense to you younger people, but I'm just, at some point, everything, if it was really good, people would say, man, that's bad. And, I'm, and the first time or two I heard it, and it's truthful still when I hear it, it's like, what? It, it, no, it's good. No, no, it's really good. It's bad. You know, and, and there's some other ones that I can't even think of right now. But, uh, but, but the idea of, of making good bad and making evil good is just upside down. Conviction is a strong belief or opinion. And you get the right convictions. You can have the wrong convictions. You know that? You can have convictions about the wrong things. You get the right convictions from the Word of God. That's why it's important to be in the Word of God every day. Otherwise, our exposure to the world, which is 24-7 is going to have more influence in our convictions in what we think is right or wrong than the Word of God. So I don't know about you, but I need this book every single day. I need to be in this book every single day. It is something that purifies my thoughts. It is something that challenges me. It is something that strengthens me. It undergirds me. When I think I can't go another step, it helps me to go another step and, if need be, another mile. We must know our Bibles, guys, we must know what we believe, and we must know why we believe it. Knowing what you believe without knowing why you believe it leaves you vulnerable when you get into uh, situations where someone doesn't believe at all what you do. So we need to be men of commitment. We need to be men of conviction. The third C is courage, because conviction alone is not enough. I can have a conviction that God created the heavens and the earth, and I do. But if I never say anything about it, if I never take a stand, and someone is dissing the whole idea of God and the creation of God and believing that we came from amoeba and from elements before that and from the Big Bang before that, if we don't take a stand with courage... Then, then something's wrong. We, we don't, there's a disconnect there. We, we, don't, we don't follow through with the convictions we have. And, and I'm telling you, 
so many times we have an opportunity and the Holy Spirit perhaps prompts us to say something in a kind way, in a tactful way, and we don't do it. We fail that opportunity. God give us courage. Daniel was a man of conviction. Daniel was a Hebrew young man, excellent young man, physically, morally, intellectually, mentally, emotionally. He was a singular young man. And when the enemy came in, they went ahead and took him captive along with Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and several others. They took him back to Babylon, and there they said, here, we're going we're gonna to take care of you guys. We're going to feed you the best food. We're gonna, it's not going to be what they eat in Thailand and Cambodia. We're going we're gonna to feed you the best food. We're going to feed you a drink, give you the best drink. We're going to, we're gonna, we're gonna treat you like, uh, like, like royalty because we want you to grow up to be wise men who will uh, be able to influence and advise uh, our king. So, uh, so that's what we're going to do. But Daniel, in chapter 1, verse 8, didn't take him long. Chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel made a decision. Daniel drew a line. About a year and a half before I surrendered to ministry. I was in college for that year and a half. Not living for the Lord the way that I should. When I walked down the aisle, June the 9th, uh, January the 9th, 1966, I drew a line, and I said, there's some things now I'm not ever going to do again with God's help. There's some things I'm not ever going to say with God's help. I'm, I'm going to make a determination, a decision to be what God wants me to be. I drew a line, and I said, that's it. He drew a line. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He said, sir, Mr. Eunuch, sir, I have a, a request. Uh, Daniel, what's your request? Well, I was checking the menu. And, uh, man, there's some things on there I really like. I, I think they probably would be good, but I know a lot of people really like them a lot, but... Uh, I'm Jewish, and I don't believe in eating those foods. Jews would have a rough time in Thailand and Cambodia, Matt. They'd have a real rough time there. I had a rough time in Cambodia. So, so he says, I, I, I don't want to eat the king's, what the king has put on the menu for us. I said, are you kidding me, man? We got, we got, we got. T-bone steaks, and we got, we got lobster, and we got shrimp, and we've got camel hump. I don't know if they had camel hump. I don't, I don't have any idea. We, 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 we got all this great food, man. You're going to absolutely, you, it's, just, it's to die for, man. The way our chef fixed it, it's unreal. He said, I'm sorry, but I can't eat it. What do you mean you can't? I just can't. Moses' law forbids me for eating some of that food. Well, uh, man, I don't know what to tell you. I, he said, well, here's what I'd like. I'd like first to first feed us a vegetable diet. Feed us vegetable diet. Give us good water. We'll, we'll eat and drink that. He said, man, if you're not looking good, if, if you get sick, it's my head that's on the chopping block, the eunuch said. 
And so Daniel said, tell you what, let's do a trial, a trial run, good 10 days. We'll eat this diet that I'm laying out for you here. And you check on us. If we're not in good shape, then we'll talk about it. You know what I think? I think if, he, if the eunuch would have come back and talked to him and said, okay, look, I don't think you're looking very good, so you're going to have to go back to the other diet. I think Daniel, Daniel would have still said, sorry, but we're not doing it because he made a decision. He was a man of courage. He took a stand in a foreign land. He was a slave, right? He was, he, he was a captured slave. And he said, I don't want to eat that. And, he, and, and as it turns out, they were healthier than the, the rest of the guys who were eating everything that was offered to them. In Daniel chapter 3, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. This is what the accuser said. And they serve not your gods. No kidding. And they don't worship the golden image which you have set up. Well, you know why? Because they were taught the Shema. They were taught the Lord your God is one Lord. They were taught thou shalt have no graven images. They were taught not to bow down before any other gods. And so when the sound of the music was, was, was heard in the land and other people would bow down to idols carved out of gold and silver or wood or whatever else, they refused to do so. And so the fellow Babylonians turned in their names and said, these guys are not complying, and so we need, to, we need to get them to comply. And they were threatened again, and when the music sounded, they refused to. They meant of courage. They knew what was right, and they stood for what was right. And so they said, we're going to throw you into a fiery furnace if you don't bow down when the music plays. Music played. They didn't bow down. They got these three young men. They put them in the fiery, the fiery furnace was heated up seven times hotter than it ever had been before. So intense were the flames in this furnace that when these three were, Jews were shoved into the furnace, the guys who shoved them in were consumed by the fire and killed. And meanwhile, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are walking around saying, I wish I'd have brought my sweater. And in fact, when the king looked into the fiery furnace, somehow looking down into it, he said, I see, didn't we cast three men in? I see four men. Because the Son of God was walking with them. But before they were thrown in, here's the courage, okay? They said, they were told, we're going to throw you in a fiery furnace. They said, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. He's able to do that because our God is all-powerful. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But know this, if not, we still will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. They didn't draw a line in sand. They drew it in concrete. Guys, let's be men of courage. It's one thing to have convictions. Let's follow through with the courage to, 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 to have and to share those convictions. Number four, every home needs to have a man of character. Character, moral strength, integrity, reputation. Again, I think of Joseph now. Joseph as a slave in a foreign land. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer. Uh, you know, just think about this right now for just a second. What would you do if you knew you would never get caught? 
What would you do if you knew you would never get caught? Well, let's see. Maybe I'd rob a bank. I would tithe on it. <laughs> That's the way some people think. I would tithe on it. That would make it okay. No, it wouldn't make it okay. What would we do if no one would ever find out in this life? You know what that indicates? What's right here? Indicates our heart. Because if we would steal, we're thieves. If we would be immoral, we're adulterers. If we would kill, we're murderers. What would we do if nobody would ever find it? Our nation, we live in a sick nation. From the politicians to the pulpit to the pew. I don't know that a week goes by that we don't hear about some politician who's messed up somehow, some way. I don't know that much more than a week goes by when I hear about some pastor who's messed up in some way. Sexual scandals, not just in the Roman Catholic Church, it's in Baptist churches. I'm sure churches of all denominations and all types. Our nation is sick. And we're, you and I are not exempt from a testimony problem. You are not. I, I, I really believe this. I'm going to say it. I, I had a preacher one time say, no, 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 that's not so. I think I am capable of any sin that anybody else is capable of. Given the right circumstances, given the right frame of mind, given the not having the protection of the Holy Spirit because of my walk or whatever else, I believe I am capable of committing any sin that anybody else is capable of committing. Truthfulness, trustworthiness, morality, a handshake, a man's word being his bond, having the character. Where are these qualities today? They need, look, they need to be in our homes. Going along with what I just said a minute ago, kind of, my wife had this thing, sign that she gave to ladies one time that said, what you are at home is what you really are. There's a lot of truth to that. Well, the way we are around the people that we're around all the time, that's what we really are. We put on a face sometimes when we come to church. We put on a face sometimes when we go to work. What we are at home is what we really are. And we need to be men of character in our homes. Joseph is an example of character. He would not be compromised in Potiphar's house. He would not be compromised in prison. We need to be men of conviction... Commitment, courage, character, and every home needs a man of concern, one who cares, one who shows compassion, one who empathizes, one who feels what his wife feels, feels what his children are feeling. It is not unmanly to be sensitive to the ones we love. David was a warrior. Oh, man, I like that guy. I like it when he goes down and takes a lion and kills it, takes a bear and kills it because they were, they were trying to get some of his dad's sheep. I love it when he picks up five smooth stones, goes down to the valley, and 
wax Goliath with the first world's smart missile, smart guided missile, <laughs> boing right in the forehead. Down he goes, goes over, picks up that incredibly huge sword that Goliath carried, lifted it up and whacked off Goliath's head. I, I love David. He, he goes out. He, he, he becomes a, 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 what an incredible military, mighty man of God, a man after God's own heart. I don't like what happened with Bathsheba, not one little bit. I don't like what happened with Uriah, not one little bit. But I love the man that he was. He was a man's man. And when his son was killed, even though his son had raised up a rebellion against him, he wept and cried and said he was moved. And he went up to his chamber over the gate, and he wept. And as he went up, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would to God I had died for you, oh, Absalom, my son. When King Saul, who had sought David's life, when King Saul died, he wept, he lamented. David wept. David wrote some of the most incredible psalms. He was a man of sensitivity. He was a man of feeling. He was a man who cared. Oh, yeah. Jesus also wept. Well, it's not manly to weep. Are you calling my Lord a sissy? I don't think so. Being manly doesn't mean that we have to be cold or mean or unfeeling. Number six, every home needs a man of communication. <laughs> Our wives are so much better at this. They are so much better at this. What is there about us that it's hard to talk about things that need to be talked about? I guess, you know, after 50 years, I've kind of finally learned a couple of things. It took about 48 years to learn some of them. I'm still learning some of them. But evidently, early on, I, I was just thinking, I'm the man of God, I'm the preacher, I'm the this, I'm the that. But I could cut off communication. I could cut off a conversation. Bad thing to do. Bad thing. I remember, okay, in our first year of marriage, first year of marriage, okay, and I, I think I've told you this. I came home. I'd come home about 1130 at night from work, and I had to be at classes at 730 the next morning, and so I want to come home and sleep. And so I came home, and Pat had something she wanted to talk about. I said, I don't want to talk about it right now. She wasn't real thrilled with that. I wasn't thrilled with the fact that she wasn't thrilled. She was not thrilled with the fact that I wasn't thrilled, that she wasn't thrilled, and so it went. And that night, I laid on my side of the bed and looked at that wall all night long. <laughs> I think she probably looked at that wall, but I'm not sure. I hope she wasn't sleeping. That would have made me even more mad. But I decided, you know what? If ever she wants to talk about something at 11.30 or 12 or 12.30 or 1.00, I will talk about it because then after that, I can get some sleep. Because it didn't work out so well the way I did it that first time. Our communication, our ability to be able to exchange ideas, to listen to. And, and, and Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk 
come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up, for edification, that it may give grace to those who hear. That applies at home, that applies at work, that applies at play, that applies at church, that applies everywhere. No corrupting talk, but building up and giving grace. I'm amazed at the couples who I counsel who have never learned how to talk about really important things. They never go beyond, you know, uh, yeah, it's kind of cold out. I think I need a shirt, uh, a sweater rather. And uh, yeah, I think it's kind of, uh, I think we're going to go visit so-and-so and such. I mean, just superficial things. Some people never get beyond that. And guys, a husband can provide a home, food, and clothes, but fail to meet the emotional needs of his family. And it's easy if we're not careful, if we're not intentional about what we do. (laughs) I tell her I love her many times every day. I didn't hear that growing up. So don't give me that flimsy excuse, okay? Well, my dad never told me he loved me, so I just never tell my wife. Yeah, break the cycle. What's the matter with you, knucklehead? <laughs> so I just can't hardly say it. Go practice in front of the mirror. Say, I love you. I love you. Practice it till you can make it roll out like I love you. Love you. Talk to them. Talk with them, not at them. Huh? There's a difference? You're talking at someone or talking with someone? Listen to them. Listen with your eyes too, guys. You're not engaged in a conversation with the football game's on and she's talking to you and your eyes are over there on the screen. It's not going to work. Don't ridicule. Don't put down. Don't call names because things are said in the heat of the moment, cannot be taken back very easily at all. Value their ideas. Turn off the TV, close the iPad, put down the iPhone. When was the last time you praised your wife or praised your children? Maybe it was just a couple, an hour or two ago. Praise the Lord. Do it. Do it often. I can't tell you the number of people through the years who come in and say, you know, I, I never could please my dad. Never could please my dad. And therefore, and they go ahead and kind of elaborate on their situation. So let your children know. When you, now, don't make up something. I mean, you know, make sure it's something that's really, you know, I love the way you almost cleaned your room. That, that, that doesn't fly. <laughs> Find something you can genuinely, honestly praise them for. Let them know your love. I love this. I love this video because it's unconditional acceptance and love. Unconditional. Tell them they did a good job. Tell them you please them. Tell them you value them. They're important to you. Appreciate what they do. Doesn't a compliment encourage you? Sure does me. Proverbs 25, verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. There's a lot of meaning packed into that. And I don't have, uh, I'm out of time, but take it home and study it. Proverbs 25, 11. So we need to be men of the seven C's. Commitment, conviction, courage, character, concern, communication, last of all, is actually the first of all, most important. We need to meet, every home needs to be 
needs a man of Christ. A man of Christ. A man of God who follows the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. On this Father's Day, why don't you recommit again? Recommit to your family. Recommit. If you don't have kids, recommit to your wife. If you have children, recommit to your wife and to your children. Just say, you know what? If I haven't been there for you, or I know I haven't been there for you in some things, and I'm going to make every effort to be there for you and with you through whatever it is that God leads us. So give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Be a born-again child of Almighty God. That's the best kind of dad there is in the whole world. Would you bow your heads, please? Isn't it significant to you, it is to me, that we know our God by one of his titles, our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If you had a dad who was not the right kind of dad, I know you missed out on a lot, but here's what you need to do. You need to forgive him. You need to proactively forgive him. And, and if he's around, you need to let him know that. If he's not around, you need to let God know that. Proactively forgive and then be the kind of dad that you wanted and that you needed. Our Father, we thank you for loving us and blessing us beyond our wildest imaginations. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, if there's someone here who's not sure that if they died, they'd go to heaven, they're not sure that they're in right standing with you, may today be the day they do that in Jesus' name. With every head still bowed, if you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Master, as your Savior, have your sins forgiven, and you're serious about it and sincere, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you just to talk to God for a minute. Here's what you need to say to him. Something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm not what I ought to be. I know that I've sinned and come short of your glory. I really believe that you love me and that you gave your son to die for me on, my cro on the cross. That he paid the price for my sins. And so this morning, right here, First Baptist Church, I ask you, God, to be my Savior to fill me with your Holy Spirit, to cleanse me from all sin, make me a better man, make me a better woman, make me a better teenager. Help me to be what you want me to be. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Would you stand? And if you just prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to come and tell Fitz. Fitz, if you'll be right down here. And Rachel's over here, ladies. My wife's right here. Jamie's in the back over here. I want you guys, go, go, to, go to Jamie or go to Fitz and say, you know what, I just prayed that prayer. Or if you have some other prayer request, some other concern that you have, something you want to talk to a guy about, go ahead and do so. Ladies, same with Rachel and with my wife. If you prayed that prayer on the back table, standing by one of our new church members right there, yeah, Karen, uh, there's, there's some a blue bag, and all you need to do is just pick that up. If you prayed that prayer, just pick that up, take it with you, and if you have any questions, we'd be glad to answer those. But let's go ahead. As we sing this invitation, your opportunity now to do something with the message that God has given to you.